Hello, ladies. How are we doing tonight? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. I'm Brooke Holt, everybody, and this is my mom, Brandy Knowles, and we are so excited about this portion of the service. Yes. Oh, my gosh. We are so excited. Ladies, one of the main reasons we're here tonight is so we can hear about life experiences from all walks of life and hear the testimonies of these lovely ladies up here. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to introduce them to y'all, even though you probably already know who they are. So this is Caitlin Tyner. She, yep, yep. She is only 16 years old, like... What was I doing when I was 16, okay? And uh, she is an intern here with Real Life Student Ministries, which is awesome. And she is on the Cabot High School debate team, and we are just so excited to hear from her tonight. Next up, we have Brooke Smith. Brooke is the mommy of two. <laughs> She's the wife to Drew. Drew drums for our worship team. Um, Lincoln, her son is 20 months old and Parker Kate is three months old. So not only is Brooke a great mom, but she's a working mom and she's a pumping mom. Yeah. Y'all know that's a big deal. Everybody knows that's a big deal. Okay, so y'all, now we have Carrie Beaver right here in the middle. Yes, give it up for Carrie, y'all. Okay, so she is a mom to two twins. They're not only twins, they're also teenagers, okay? So y'all pray for her, okay? Um, and also, just a little fun fact, she recently lost a little bit of weight, just around 100 pounds. Are you kidding me? 100 pounds. Yes, wow. give it up. Wow, Carrie. Wow, that's all I can say. Wow, 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 wow. Um, up next, we have Tina Moore. Tina has been <laughs> Tina has been a friend of mine for many, many years, and she's been a part of this church since it started. Um, Tina is a wife, a mom to two, and a Gigi to one. And Tina has recently just gotten her doctorate degree. So let's give it up for Tina. Yeah, y'all just start calling her doctor more when you see her, okay? Yes. So finally, and definitely not least, y'all turn your attention to Miss Connie. Look at Miss Connie. Everybody knows Miss Connie, y'all. So you can always catch her up here on Monday night. She leads the prayer team. You can find her here on Monday morning, and she has a women's group, and she also has two sweet grandbabies, and her daughter-in-law and son both attend here with her. So. Also, who wants to raid Miss Connie's closet? Me. Okay, ladies, are y'all ready to get started and hear from these wonderful ladies? All right. Okay, so, Caitlin, we know, everybody in here knows, they remember being a teenager. It is really hard, okay? There are a lot of pressures to conform and to drink and to party and to go back to your house with your boo, to Netflix and chill and... <laughs> Remember we had a discussion about Netflix and chill, Mom? Uh, yes. I do remember. As a matter of fact, I'm glad you let me in on that little secret about what Netflix and chill is because your dad and I have been doing it ever since. <laughs> well, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, that was not something I needed to hear or definitely never want to hear again. So, turning it back to Caitlin, uh, 
how do you say no in this season of life? What boundaries and systems do you have in place to, to help you? Right, okay. So let, I'm just gonna be really real, okay? Can I be real with everyone? Okay, so being a teenage girl is super hard. It's so difficult. So anyone in high school, just raise your hand. Okay, so everyone can probably agree that it's super challenging. And I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is, why do, why do these things happen? Why do girls want to drink? Why do they want to smoke? And why do they want to get involved in these kinds of things? And I think the answer is, a lot of the time, girls my age just feel alone. When you're growing up, you want to find your identity. You want to figure out who you are because, you know what, that's like what you're supposed to do in high school. You're supposed to like post the best Instagram picture. And on Visco, it's like, hey, does this filter look good? Is my caption witty enough? Is everything, is this good? <laughs> And so there's all these standards that you want to meet. And so I think that this has affected me personally and definitely our community, community personally because last year, almost two years ago, um, one of my friends moved from GLR to Cabot to recreate herself, to find her new identity. We went on a mission trip together and we got super close. And unfortunately, being a, drinking and smoking weed, that was unfortunately what ended her life. And so I see some of my friends get involved with these kinds of things or get involved with relationships that are devastating, and it breaks my heart. But honestly, I cannot sit here and watch another one of my friends leave me when it's not their time, or I feel like it's not their time. I know God has a plan. But also, I've also seen some of my, one of my really close friends commit suicide. And so identity is such a very important thing to develop as a young girl. And the answer to this is just straight truth. And it comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It says the Holy Spirit is given to us in a special way. This was for the good of all. And then it talks about specific gifts that God gives us, spirit of wisdom, of discernment, and it's planted in each and every one of us. And so when girls realize that they have gifts, they realize that they don't have to be a part of the world. They don't have to look to a guy for fulfillment. They don't have to do all of these things to make sure they feel great. They don't have to curl their hair to make sure they look pretty. Everything the world tells you you have to do is completely a lie. What the truth is, is that you're beautiful, you're independent, you're courageous, you're kind, and it's all because God created you that way, and it's because you have those gifts that he gave you. And so... <laughs> And so that is the most important thing. When you get involved with people who care about those gifts, when you surround yourself with people that want to care for you, that want to value these gifts, that's when you find your identity. And ultimately, that's when you're able to ignore drinking and smoking and Netflix and chilling. <laughs> All right, so we can go home now. She preached. No. <laughs> Caitlin, you are so wise. Wise beyond your years. Um, as a mom to a teenager from this perspective, what can we do to help create an easier um, environment and transition for you guys as daughters when right. you're faced with temptation? I think the answer to this is being able to recognize your daughter's gifts and how valuable she is because God created her. And let's be honest, we know his plan is perfect. And so we know that she is perfect and the gifts that he has given all of us is perfect. So I would seek to know who she is and what she stands for. 
uh, who she wants to be when she grows up and have that conversation, even if it's not comfortable and you don't have that relationship yet, have that conversation of who she is and who you are. And also, I would advise to get involved in a life group or connect class because when I see my mom get involved in church and she shows how much she cares about her relationship, that she wants that transparent, true, honest relationship, then it just shows me that she cares. And ultimately, I would love nothing more to see my mom grow in faith and also be a role model for me. That's so good. Yeah, it's a good place to give a hand. So the mother-daughter relationship is so important, and I know that, that some of us, you know, aren't blessed enough to have our moms. I thankfully am. But just creating that bond with someone older and wiser than you in the church that that she's your mother in Christ now and that you have that person that you can go to for this same type of thing. So good job, Caitlin. Okay, Brooke. Um, your personal testimony deals with overcoming abuse by a family member, um, loss of your father to prison, and other dysfunctions growing up. How do you think triumphing over these obstacles has helped shape you? not only as a daughter in Christ, but as a mother. So before I get in that question, um, I'm just gonna open a little window for you guys to just kind of see the dysfunctions that I had to deal with growing up. Um, when I was two, my mom and dad got a divorce um, to my dad's homosexual lifestyle. Um, at the age of nine, my mom remarried um, abusive alcoholic. My dad went to prison the same year my uncle molested me. And I told at the age of 15, and we had a huge jury trial. My dad didn't believe me, even after my uncle had admitted it. It led to feelings of abandonment, just feeling unworthy. I didn't feel good enough. I felt like, why does my family have to look different than all my friends? There's chaos, you know. Um, I didn't know. I, I felt like if my family didn't love me, then who else could? So I kind of reclused. I stayed to myself through high school. Um, and two memories that stick out to me that are, are very difficult. Um, I don't get to go to father-daughter balls. I don't, my dad didn't want me down the aisle when I got married. But the good news is, and where I got today is I went through Freedom Ministries. I, I started believing lies that the enemy were telling me about my self-worth, about my identity. And when I started realizing I was believing these lies, I also realized that, you know, I laid my sins at the cross, but I wasn't laying my hurts. So, girls, if you have hurts, Jesus wants to carry those. He wants you to lay them at the cross and give them to him. I remember calling my husband, and I felt 10 pounds lighter I would just bawl like, Jesus is taking this. I don't have to carry it. And I reset my thinking and my identity and things that, not things that have been done to me, but what God's done for me. Um, the second thing I did is I set boundaries around my life. Um, I had to safeguard my heart and my family's heart, my two babies and my husband, um, from that unhealthy relationship. And it wasn't easy walking away from a family member. It's not ever easy. Um, but I had to shift my focus 
from an unhealthy, one-sided, earthly father relationship to a heavenly father who I knew wanted to protect me and love me the way my father here didn't. Um, and the, a verse that sticks out to me is Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything flows from it. Um, once I realized this and went through freedom and set boundaries, I realized my reactions were completely different. My reactions, you always hear hurt people hurt people, and it's so true. I, I started having more joy and peace and treated my husband and cherished my time with my kids a lot more. Um, and I want to leave you with this truth, ladies. You are a new creation in him. The old is gone and the new has come. Through Jesus, you have been freed from your past. Jesus is the beginning and he's the end. And before he knew you, he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. You were created in his image. When things are dark, he brings light. When there is no hope, he is hope. He makes all things work together for his good. Our self-worth too often comes from what people tell us about ourselves, but thank God it comes from the cross. He died so that we could live. This is how valuable we are. So ladies, let's start living in this truth. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brooke. I think one of the most beautiful things that Brooke said tonight was she realized she needed to lay all of her insecurities and her hurts and her pain and um, all the hard things that she had been through at the foot of the cross. That's all we have to do. We just have to lay it down, ladies. Just lay it down. We don't have to pick it back up. Once it's there, Jesus has us right in the palm of his hand. We're his. Amen. So good. So, Carrie, yes. women look at you, and they see your amazing weight loss, and they may think that you've arrived. You're done. You have nothing else to do. So we can physically see a transformation, but what we didn't see, what happened on the inside. So what kind of triggered that outer change? Okay. Um, God has taken me on a very incredible physical transformation the past few months. But, like Brooke said, it didn't start on the outside. Um, I had to do some work on the inside, just like Brooke was talking about. And I want to be real just for a second and say, you know those People magazines, half their size or whatever? I, for as long as I can remember, walked by them and thought, I want to be them or whatever. Um, so I want you to know, like, I'm going to be real. I started my journey well over 300 pounds. So wherever you are right now, it's okay. It's okay. I've been there. I'm not speaking this as just, oh, look at her. I've been there, and I know what you feel. And so a year and a half ago, I was in a Freedom Life group, and God began working on my heart. And he took me back some, some places to some places that, I didn't realize we're there. And those three specific places that he took me to, um, I was letting them dictate and define me and control me. So I went to elementary school and I was told to get off the merry-go-round so that it would go faster. That's the first time I remember feeling heavy, different, or fat. I hate that word. 
In middle school, I was called a whale cheerleader. In high school, I had a friend rub it in my face that she was thin and I was not by slamming a can of SlimFast down right in front of me. Those were three very painful moments in my life. And as a kid, you hear sticks and stones will break your bones, words will never hurt me. No, they hurt. And then I gave those words power and then they were controlling me. And so from that moment on, I thought, I am the fat kid. I am always going to be the heavy one. I am that whale. And I'm never going to be slim. And that's exactly where the enemy wanted me. I was stuck. And I felt hopeless in my own skin. And he knew if he couldn't have my soul, he would do everything he can to keep me defeated, distracted, discouraged, discontent. And it was affecting my relationships all around me. I couldn't be the mom, the wife, or the daughter of the king that I was created to be because I was so focused on myself and how big I was and if a seatbelt was going to fit or if I was going to fit into a booth or if I was going to be the biggest person in the room. I was so focused on myself. And I always turned to food. I was addicted to food instead of being in love with my Savior. Food was my hiding place. Not my Lord. And so I was stuck. But thankfully, we have a God who loves us enough that he won't let us stay stuck. There's a way out. And through pursuing him in prayer and seeking his face, he said, hold on, daughter. I've got something I want to tell you about you. Those lies, that's not who you are. He said, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are beautiful. You are strong. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a treasured possession. You are a daughter of the king. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are brave to do the hard things. And you're worth it. And so I surrendered it all. And I said, oh God, I cannot do this on my own anymore. Please help me out. And because he is a good father, he showed up in a very specific way with a very specific plan. And so, yeah, there has been a physical transformation. The real work was on the inside. Um, I haven't arrived because I'm going to be a constant work in progress. But that hopelessness has been replaced with a fresh hope. I'm no longer stuck. I have a renewed passion. I far from arrived, but I'm in a lot better place today than I, am, than I was a few months ago to do the work that he's called and prepared me to do. Wow. I just can sit up here and say wow all night long. Wow. So, Carrie, your story is a perfect example of how when we die to self, when we get to the end of our rope, when we feel hopeless, when we feel like there's just nowhere else to go, when we finally get there and die to self, Jesus shows up. All we have to do is knock. So, Tina, hi. Hello. Hi. 
You have overcome so much in your life. You've got your doctorate degree now. You have an amazing job. You've raised two awesome kids, and now you have a sweet grandbaby. So from the outside to everyone else, it looks like your life is pretty much awesome. So do you feel like that's true every day, most days? I think that is a very accurate Facebook description of my life. Um, I will share a few cliff notes of the not approved for social media version. Um, for the full version, you'll have to tune into the Lifetime miniseries. Um, it's entitled, Get It Together Girl, um, God's Unending Grace. So, um, I think it'll be noticeable that I was picked for this panel because everyone else has it together but me, actually, <laughs> after I talk a little bit. But um, I, too, was an overweight child. And although I lost the weight by junior high, we said we wouldn't cry, but we, um, I didn't lose the insecurities that come from being an overweight child. And obviously, apparently it still bothers me today. Um, at 43, um, I struggled with an eating disorder some, even as an adult. And to this day, I have negative body image issues. And I really hate that because I have a beautiful daughter that I want to be a better example for. And it's stupid to get, you know, oh, I hate that picture. Don't post it. I don't like how I look. Um, all that's ridiculous. I logically know that, but it's hard to get it out of my heart and mind. And I know God doesn't want me to be that way. So after the being an overweight child, um, I had my son in high school when I was 16. And God had amazing grace for me, but people don't always have grace. So I wanted just to prove to everyone that I wasn't a failure. So I sought to achieve all that I could starting at that age. And I only missed two weeks of school to have my son and had a 4.0 that year and soon went to Fayetteville on a scholarship with a toddler and graduated college in four years. I really never thought I would have a normal life, whatever that is. I think we all know now there's no such thing, but um, I was very blessed to meet my absolutely amazing husband, Chad, at the end of my senior year of college. Shortly after we were married, a few years later, had a, a little baby girl, and my son was good and life was good, but I still had all those um, tucked away issues of insecurity and lack of confidence. Um, Fast forward several years later, we had a lot of problems with our teenage son, and really bad problems. And um, when God did not answer my cry to fix those problems in what I considered appropriate time, I just became very angry at God and very frustrated that really you're going to let, let me get pregnant, do all, you know, do all I can to raise this kid right, and now we're going to go through all this, um, factor in you know, all the other life challenges that we all face, and I was just in a really bad place, really bad place. I would often drink, not just like, hey, fun, have a margarita, but drink just to kill the, the reality of what my life was like. I was, it was awful. My marriage suffered. I was a different person. Our family nearly fell apart, and we were at church every Sunday, and everyone knew that we were having problems with our teenager, but I don't think most people, if anyone really knew how bad things were and what a mess I was. So long story short, because this is not lifetime, um, 
God really performed just a complete miracle. It, it went on for several years of struggle, but God performed a miracle in, in my life and my family, restored our family completely. Enough that most of y'all had no idea it was ever a problem. Um, and um, that just, you would think after all had God had done in my life over the years, that the little issues that I had before would just be gone and I would be content, but I wasn't. So I continued my overachiever status and pursued work and career. Now, I fully believe that God has given us all gifts and that we should pursue that to its fullest and be all that he's called us to be. But career and education, when you're trying to find your identity in those things, can be toxic. And that's what I was letting it be. Um, no matter what I did, it was never enough. It didn't matter, you know, an, another degree and a promotion at work, and I still felt empty. And a whole other facet to all this is I never felt like I fit in. I never felt like I had girlfriends. It's like everybody had their little their clique of girlfriends, and I, I felt so alone like I didn't. And I'd like to say that was old Tina a long, long time ago, but just last fall, I didn't even go to the woman conference at GLR. I've been to woman several years, but I didn't go last fall because I felt like everyone had someone to go with but me. And I'm social, so people are probably like, really, like you, you talk to everybody. I felt like I didn't have anybody to go with. So I sat at home and looked at all your pictures on Facebook and then felt like more of a loser because I was at home by myself. And Satan had me right where he wanted me. If he can get us isolated and alone and depressed, that's when we're our weakest and that's when he could attack us. Not to mention we can't possibly fulfill God's plan for our life when we're in that place. So the point is, I know all of this logically. I'm 43 years old. I should know, you know, have it all together by now. But I don't. I'm 43, but he's still working on me. And... Um, so just know from someone who, that you might perceive as having it all together, just because, you know, I'm going to post happy things on Facebook. Only the crazy people post the other stuff, right? <laughs> so that's, that's my answer. So good, Tina. I know myself, that story resonates with me, and I'm sure it does you too, because though you may not struggle with weight or... You're, you feel like your identity's in your career, we all have insecurities, and we all deal with it in different ways. But just remembering, like everyone has said so far, where our identity is based, and that changes everything. So, Miss Connie, been waiting for this all night. <laughs> yeah. No pressure. Thank you, Brooke. Thanks. So there are so many things that you could speak to us about tonight, but divorce is something I know that you've been through, and I know a lot of ladies can relate to. So we know that the loss of a marriage a lot of times can leave wounds. So can you talk to us a little bit about uh, the reality of life after divorce and how the Lord can heal you through that process? Well, ladies, the reality is there is life after divorce. As a matter of fact, there is life after three divorces. And not only life, but abundant life. And that's, I know about that because that is my story and that's what I would like to share with y'all tonight. Um, I think we're all aware of the hurt and devastation that divorce can cause. Uh, 
whether we've experienced it directly or indirectly uh, through our friends or our family members. And because of that, I'm not going to share the details of all of my divorces because, frankly, ladies, we ain't got time for all that. <laughs> and actually, since it's been almost 20 years since my last divorce was final, I don't really remember a lot of the details. <laughs> and I am so thankful for that because that's not where my focus is now at this time and season of my life. And I know that's not where God wants my focus either. So what I would like to share with y'all tonight is what I had mentioned earlier about my abundant life. Even though, ladies, uh, our marriages may be over, our lives are not. God still has a plan, still has a plan and a purpose for each of us. Our divorces have not changed that at all. So we now have a choice to make. Are we going to choose to stay where we are, struggling under the oppressive weight of our past, or will we choose God and his plan and his path for us? I pray that we will choose God and move forward with him and allow him to restore our joy and our peace and our hope because, ladies, it is all ours for the asking. And in closing, I would just uh, like to take this opportunity. No, I would love to take this opportunity to pray God's word over each of us tonight. And it's from Romans 15, 13. So, ladies, if y'all would please close your eyes and bow your heads. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray this in our Savior Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Amen. Give it up. Thank you, Miss Connie. That is so good. So um, we're glad that you have sat in on this casual chat with us and a few hundred of you. This has just been a small little chat. Um, <laughs> we're so thankful that these ladies have shared their story with us. Do y'all know that that was not easy to get up here and be that vulnerable and brave? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, and we are praying over each and every one of you that wherever you are tonight, whether you are healed or you are still healing, that these stories can resonate with you and that you can hide them in your heart and you can dig deep into God's word and find his truth about who you are to him. Amen, Brooke. Now, I'm proud of her too. <laughs> okay, ladies, this has been great. Let's give it up for these ladies. This is tough stuff for them. Oh my gosh, how awesome was that? Oh my goodness, I just, I love that we have daughters in this house that are willing to share their stories of God's grace, his goodness, his restoration. Yeah, 
And it's really cool to see because I know for me, when I met some of these ladies, I definitely thought that they had it all together. Oh, yeah. And so it's really cool to see how sometimes just because it looks like something on the outside doesn't necessarily mean it is on the inside. And it really is cool to see how these ladies have come so far. And um, it gives me hope, I know for sure, oh, when yes. I feel like my life Definitely. is falling apart. Um, so, ladies, this is so important that we grow this community. And having a sisterhood and a mentorship with all of these ladies is really what it's all about. Um, can you imagine what life would be like if the younger generation could look up to the older generation, really learn from their mistakes, and then the more mature ladies to learn from the younger generation, get some, like, inspiration, you know? Mature. Yes. Oh, mature. I'm sorry. I said I don't older. Think. I don't, I don't know. Are we using that? Is that what we're? That was a mistake. <laughs> I meant mature. I'm going to help you later on younger. Thank sister. you. I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> well, you guys heard from Miss Connie tonight and um, along with Miss Paula Hampton, they are launching a new ministry here. It's called the Titus Two ministry. Ooh. So we are super pumped about this, and they're going to have a table out in the foyer afterwards, and you guys can drop by, visit with them, uh, let them share their heart with you about this ministry and all that they have planned for it. And you can also sign up to be a mentor, mature, or a mentee. I don't know. We'll come up with a word for you girls Young later. ladies. Precious, yeah. precious. Not older. Yes. I just never say older. And she, she's cute. She loves Jesus. So. <laughs> so you guys be sure and stop by this table and visit with those ladies. Now, girls, we want to introduce you to the mama of the house. Yes, ladies, she has prayed and dreamt over this night for a really long time. It is so obvious if you're around Cody for a small amount of time just how passionate she really is about the women of the house. And so if you guys don't mind, put your hands together for our girl, Cody Here Bennett. Here she goes. Good. Thank you, girls. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Y'all, you make me nervous. Am I on? I don't even know what I'm doing. Girls, I am just absolutely thrilled to see you here. You have no idea what it's like to stand on this stage and look out at a sea of beautiful women and know why you're here. You're here to honor God and to receive from God, and it's just really exciting. And, um, you know, there was so much work and so many people that went in to make tonight happen. Like, we had volunteers up here at all hours. Will you join me in saying thank you to the volunteers? I mean, if we're going to thank someone, yes. Both the girls that that shared their stories, the people that served on the stage and off the stage. You guys, it's just meant so much. It's very humbling for me, for both James and I, to see New Life Church turn out in such a, an amazing way. And um, beyond that, there is no one that has showed up for us like the Lord. I mean, there have been missed things. There have been holes. There have been things we've missed along the way. And he shows up. He has met us big time. So more than our volunteers. Let's give it up for the Lord. Can we, thank you, 
Lord, we glorify you. God, we thank you that you show up in a mighty way, that you are king. You are king over our weaknesses. You are king over the things we miss. God, we are here tonight to honor you and to glorify you, to hear from you, to receive from you. Lord, embolden me, give me the right words to speak that I can deliver what you have put on my heart to these daughters, to the daughters of this house. Thank you for Woman Night. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, okay, so here we go. Um, I'm going to tell you about my, me. Um, I have four kids, and we were out to eat not too long ago. And I have um, my youngest one. She's four years old. She's sitting in between James and I. And she leans over to me, and she says, uh, Mom, it's like this. Uh, Mom, yes. The waitress with the lipstick. Like, where does my child learn to speak like this? She has a tiny bottom. <laughs> like, that's what... James just looks at me like I have an answer for it. I'm like, yeah, we start judging each other kind of early. Like, my, my four-year-old just comes right out of the gun with that. And it's true. When we gather together as girls, we can judge each other. We can, there can be some insecurity and com some comparison. And the Word says... Confess your sins one to another and that you'll be healed. And confess really is a fancy word that just means own up to it. But how can we confess to one another if we're too intimidated to even hang out with each other, to even be around one another? And so as an answer to that, I've always wanted to do events that are kind of cash, you know, like sweatpants and s'mores, come as you are, so we can just, so we can disseminate that insecurity and so when, in the process of that, the Lord really challenged me with that. And he said, that's not the root issue. The root issue is insecurity, and we need to target the root issue. And so my solution was sweatpants and s'mores. The Lord's solution was heal our heart. And so we're going to go with God's solution because I think that usually turns out better. And so I asked myself, when does a woman get the most dressed up? Well, her wedding day. And what does she wear? This beautiful, bright gown. And this gown represents purity, and it represents innocence. It's a symbol that represents these beautiful things. And you know what? The bride of Christ is personified as a woman. The word calls the bride of Christ she. You are the bride of Christ. In 1 John 1, 7, it says, But if we walk in the light, so as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What an amazing thought that the bright red crimson blood of Jesus it is what washes us to make us clean as snow. And so tonight, you've probably seen a few visual, visual representations. And out in the foyer, you saw this massive shadow box, which is so cool. Am I right? And in it, you see the light side, and you can see every detail of it. You can see the uniqueness, you can see the texture, all the lines are clean and they're crisp. The light highlights our uniqueness. It highlights our differences and the things that make us beautiful. And the other side is the total opposite. The darkness masks our beauty. The darkness hides our differences. It steals our innocence. And that's just how we are in Christ. In the light, we see our beauty and our innocence. 
and the darkness hides it. I actually stood back and took a picture earlier of the, those two shadow boxes, and the black one, the darkness, totally disappeared. The light, you could still see all the details, and the darkness hid it. So that's cool. <laughs> I just have to give myself my own feedback because I don't do this very much, and I'm getting nervous. So anyway... So I am a reader. I love to read. I enjoy reading books. Um, And usually I read self-help books because obviously I need some help with myself. And so except, except for on vacation. On vacation, I don't want help. I just want to read books. I don't want to be a better mother. I don't want to be a better wife. I don't want to learn or grow. I just want to read a book. And so outside of that, I had picked up I wasn't on vacation. I don't get to, you know, we're not living on vacation. And so I had picked up this book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Life-changing? Sure, that sounds great. Yes, please. And so in it, in this book, you learn how to declutter your life by looking at every object in your house, your world, whatever, and you ask yourself, does this bring me joy? And if it doesn't bring you joy, you get rid of it. And so through that process, I've gotten rid of like 12 loads of laundry, all the vegetables. (laughs) I mean, I'm just really downsizing, like the mortgage statement, my bra, we're just getting rid of everything. And so if you need to to downsize in your life, I recommend that book. Another book I've read, though, is by Lisa Bevere. It's Without Rival. It's one of her new books. Sorry, I can't see. It says... This is a quote from her book. It said, God does not love us equally. He loves us uniquely. Equal implies his love can be measured. Our father's love cannot be likened to a pan of brownies, painstakingly cut into equal portions so no child feels slighted. His love is not a matter of portion control. It is far vaster than that. Our father's love is infinite. He does not have love for you. He is love for you. Amen. Isn't that so good? So I um, grew up in Montana. It's a state. And um, <laughs> there's more than just cattle and cowboys there. They're, like I grew up there. I used to actually live there. And so, but because it is kind of like not very many people live there, I thought um, I was kind of a big fish. And so at the age of 19, I moved to Colorado Springs to go to Bible school, and uh, the application process for that Bible school was pretty competitive. And so when I got accepted, I thought, man, I'm really something. Like, look at me, I got accepted, you know. And what I found out when I showed up to that said Bible school was all the students had been accepted. (laughs) Like everyone there that was, you know, and they had to meet the same criteria as me, so it was full of like big fish. You know, I wasn't any big thing. And so naturally, I began to compare myself to all the other girls there. Um, Everything was on the table. My walk with the Lord, my body, uh, my personality. And that's where Tiffany comes in. Tiffany was gorgeous. She had been a cheerleader. And um, she always had super spiritual, smart things to say, which... At Bible school, turns out that's pretty important. And so, (laughs) naturally, Tiffany was my standard. Tiffany was what I compared myself to. And um, 
I wanted, you know, Tiffany's chiseled cheekbones and her great prayers and everything. And about six weeks in, Tiffany quit. And I woke up and I got dressed and I realized I didn't have a standard in which to compare myself to because Tiffany was gone. The word says, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding, which is a good verse. Apparently, I had not gotten far enough in Bible school to learn that one yet. It would have been helpful. But you see, as women, we lose sight of who we are when we, be, when we compare ourselves with someone else. I've read this quote. It's so good. You can tweet this. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. I didn't write that. I found it. I don't know who said it. It says unknown. So someone did, though. <laughs> so in Bible school... When Tiffany disappeared, I had to learn that Tiffany wasn't my standard. Because I thought, this is where I missed it, I thought her success was my failure. Girls, this is for you. Tiffany's success is not your failure. God didn't create us to be Tiffany. He created me to be me. And my standard is Jesus. Jesus is pure. And purity does not go out of style. It stays in style. I want us to look at um, the, look, the story of Hagar tonight. You can find it in Genesis chapter 16. And you can turn there and read it if you have a Bible. But I'm just going to recap it a little bit for you. This is the story of Sarai and Abram. And they were married and God had promised them, you know, a thousand children, children forever. You know the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Yeah. I'm not on the worship team. <laughs> yeah. But... This is, this is before that song. So there were no sons. There were not many sons. There was not one son. No sons. And so uh, Sarai, being the controlling woman, thought she would help the Lord out. I'm going to help the Lord fulfill the promise that he made to me. And so she goes to her husband, Abram. Bless his heart. She goes to Abram and she says, okay, here's the plan. You're going to sleep with the slave. That way we can have children through her and continue to fulfill God's promises. So Abram shrugs his shoulders. He's like, if you insist, you know, like, I mean, luckily there's not a lot of gentlemen in here. Can we give the guys a hand? They are so awesome. I mean... He's like, sure, I guess so. You know, like he just does it. And so Hagar gets pregnant. Man, can you imagine how that complicates it? When you have your husband sleep with another woman and she gets pregnant, well, yeah, I would be jealous too. I mean, that's a complicated situation. And not only that, Sarai was beautiful. The Bible calls her beautiful. It describes her as gorgeous. She was like 1800 B.C. Barbie. Like, so beautiful. And I actually looked this up. Okay, Barbie, if she was real, she would be over 7 feet tall, 120 pounds, with a 16-inch waist, and wear a 32 triple D bra. So it, I don't know, sounds uncomfortable. <laughs> but Sarai was beautiful. And at this point now, Hagar is pregnant, and so things aren't going so well between them. And Sarai gets the word describes it as harsh. She gets harsh with Hagar, and Hagar is scared, sure. And I love this story because I feel like it represents any woman. It represents every woman. Because 
There's a barren woman. It represents the young girls, the oppressed, a woman caught in sex trafficking, a woman who's been abused, single mothers in the house, invisible women. So Sarai gets rude and Hagar runs. She runs fast, she runs far, she gets away from there and she finds herself alone in the desert. And it's in that context that we read verse seven. Genesis says, now the angel of the Lord found her. I think this is such a beautiful picture of our compassionate God that he, comp he cares. He finds her. He's concerned for this poor, confused single mother. You see, Hagar could flee from the presence of Sarai, but she couldn't run from the presence of the Lord. You and I, we can run from difficult circumstances, but we cannot hide from the God who placed us there. And then the Lord says, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Notice the irony here, because the Lord knows Hagar's name and what she's doing. He says it right there, yet he still asks. You can assume, though, when the Lord asks you a question, he's usually not looking for information. Kind of like when you talk to your children, you say, exactly what do you think you're doing? Like, I don't want them to really answer me. I actually want their mouths, like, closed in that moment. This is a rhetorical question. I don't want them to explain what they are doing. But I do want them to think about why they're doing it. And so the Lord says, where have you come from? She had come from being Sarai's maid, and as which she wasn't flee, or she wasn't free to flee. She hadn't been given permission to leave. Where are you going? Well, she didn't really know, but she certainly wasn't pursuing God. She wasn't pursuing his will and what he had for her. And I think those are good questions for us to ask when we're in the middle of a difficult situation. Questions like, where have you come from? How did I get here? Did God allow this trial for a reason? Where am I going? And did the Lord release me? Has he released me? Continuing on, we'll pick up in verse 9. It says, Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. If Hagar were here today, I think she would have probably some really great things to say to us. The first one I think she would say is, our real need in a bad situation is not to escape it, but to embrace it. Not to escape it, but embrace it. I didn't say we gotta create it. I mean, there's enough drama on its own. But ladies, there are some seasons that chaos is inevitable. And don't run from it. The Lord had bad news and he had good news for, for Hagar. The bad news was she needed to go back and submit to Sarai. But the good news was if she did, he would bless her. And this is what I've discovered. The good news about the bad news is the bad news isn't bad news. It's usually just hard news. And you need to hear that. The bad news that you've received, sometimes it's not bad. Because the word says he works all things to your good. So sometimes it's not bad news, it's just hard news. But submit, yeah, that's kind of a dirty word in our day. And to, you know, even through history as Americans, when we hear the word submit, we kind of cringe. 
Our country was founded in a rebellion. Sure, as women collectively, yeah, we've been oppressed collectively, but me? Is that permission for me not to submit? Because I have, I'm, let's be honest, I'm not oppressed. If I don't submit, it's usually because I'm afraid. When we don't submit, it's usually out of fear and our need to control it. But the Lord who knows us, he made us. He says, your real need in a difficult situation is to learn to submit to me. You don't learn to submit by running. You'll never learn to submit by running. There are lessons our rebellious nature cannot learn, but through these difficult situations, even the ones that are unfair. My kids, that's not fair. You hear this, you know, that's not fair. I know it's not fair. I know it's not fair. I know it's not fair that you don't get the same award or the same discipline, the same treatment as your sister or your brother. You're not your sister or your brother. It won't be fair. The only thing that makes life not fair is the expectation that we think it should be. It's not going to be. That is a fantasy. Ladies, God uses these trials to train us in the ways of the kingdom. Young girls, this happens for you when you have difficulty with your parents. And you tend to rebel then. Working girls, when you have a difficult situation with a co-worker or with your boss and you think, I'll just quit and get a new job. Or in our marriages, for married girls, when we struggle and have problems in our marriage and we think there might be something better, maybe I should walk away. We get tired in these situations when we run from these trials. Sometimes we just need to face them. For me, this week, there was a situation that I needed to face. And the mere avoidance, me running from it, tired me out more than I just would have, if I would have just addressed it. We are tired because we habitually run from the trial he wants to use to train us. If uh, you girls have seen this cartoon of the woman who looks in the mirror and she's like gorgeous, she's beautiful, and she sees every flaw, she sees where she's missing it, she, you know, doesn't even see her own reflection for what it is. And then you see the picture of the man looking in the mirror and he's like overweight, hairy, farmer's tan, ugly, awful, you know, like... No one wants to see that. He's like, yeah. You know, like, I, I want to be that guy. Like, that's awesome that he can see his reflection that way. We want to change the scenery, but God wants to change what we see, how we see. Because we can find a new life group. We can find a new church. We can find a new husband. We can get a new nose or a new purse. It will not bring us contentment. The second, thing, the second thing I think Hagar would tell us is God allows U-turns. When I was 14 years old in Montana, you get your license when you're 14. So I loaded up, got my license, loaded up my Buick Skylark, yeah, with a bunch of girls and, you know, turned up Faith Hill and went cruising. And I turned down this road. It happened to be a one-way. And what I quickly realized was it was a one-way, but I was going the wrong way on the one-way. And so there are three full lanes of traffic coming very quickly at me and my car full of girls. And I had to make a very fast decision. And so I flipped a Yui in the middle of all that traffic, and we turned around, and I just, like, drove on like, I'm supposed to be here, you know? Like, what? 
But I'll tell you what, that U-turn saved my life. And not only did that U-turn save my life, it saved the life of a few girls. Because I probably, I mean, it could have gotten ugly. This U-turn that Hagar makes, it saves her life. If she would have continued, she would have returned to her native Egyptians. And they worshipped 2,000 false gods. The way of obedience is really hard. The way of her turning back to go back and submit under Sarai, who was harsh, and live in that household, can you imagine? That was hard. The way of obedience is hard, but the way of disobedience, it's worse than hard, it's death. There is something worse than hard. She made the U-turn. So Hagar returns, she makes the decision to go back through the desert. She's full pregnant, I've been there four times. I did not wanna go for a desert walk. I was like, ballet, please, right? Here are my keys. She's full pregnant and she makes the U-turn and makes the decision to go back and submit. Ladies, when you find yourself in these situations, we have got to make the decisions to go back and submit to the authorities and to the boundaries that God has set up to protect us. It might be your husband. It could be your boss. Young girls, it's your parents. What are the systems that God has set up to protect you with that you could be running from? In verse 11, it says, the Lord says that he heard Hagar's affliction, not her prayer. We don't even know that she was crying out to God but yet he still heard her, he saw her. When I'm in this situation and in a trial, I think, God, how can you have mercy on me? It's my own rebellion, my own foolish choices that have put me in this situation. You are never too far to do a U-turn. He will always show you favor. That's when the blessing comes. Even in your dark hours when you feel like God has forgotten you, in verse 13, this is Hagar, and she says, You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. Girls, God sees. And not only does God see, but God sees you. And in our confusion and in our rebellion, when we recognize that and we turn towards him, he then lets us see him. We get to see a glimpse of God. In all your imperfections, he calls you perfect. In your brokenness, he calls you whole. Your imperfections and your brokenness are actually one of God's favorite things about you. The word says it's in your weakness his power is made perfect. So embrace it. Embrace your flaws, ladies. Embrace your trials. Embrace your weaknesses. This teacup is broken. I'll probably actually just throw it away after tonight because it's useless. But in some parts of Asia, in Japan actually, they repair pottery with one of the most precious things there is. They use gold to fuse the pieces and put it back together. And the word says, the streets of heaven are paved with gold. And I want, I want to think that maybe we're that piece of pottery. 
and that God uses what he builds heaven on to repair us. He uses the most precious thing he has, the most precious commodity, the blood of his son Jesus to repair us, to, to rebuild us and make us whole. He calls us clean. He calls us pure. He makes all of our imperfections perfect. So why do we continue to try so hard? 